And so if you have your text open to Luke chapter 15, I'll read the entire parable, and then we will, um, we will uh, go through what I think the Lord has for us this morning. And he, being Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And so he, being the father, divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country and there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was out in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with the prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we just sang a song about how we need you. And Father, as we see ourselves rightly in this text, would you increase that feeling in us of our need for you. God, would we look to the true elder brother 
Jesus Christ, who purchased us with his blood so that we can be redeemed from the curse of sin and be brought back into right relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. This here is Bridger Walker. He is a six-year-old boy from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And Bridger made national headlines this week because he showed the world what an older brother looks like and does. You see, on July 9th, he was over at a friend's house with his sister, and they noticed a mean-looking dog uh, some ways away. And somehow that dog started charging after both him and his sister. Now, instead of doing what a normal six-year-old boy, and let's be honest, what a lot of us adults would even do, which is run, he decided to put himself in front of his sister and move around to distract the dog so that the dog would not go to her. But instead of running off like he expected the dog to do, the dog latched on to Bridger's cheek. And as the dog was tearing at his face, he yelled at his sister to run. And once the dog was released, he got up, he ran to his sister, grabbed her, and brought her to a more secure location. And to show you what kind of kid Bridger is, his aunt, who has this Instagram account right now based on this whole thing, she wrote this. Remember, he's a six-year-old boy. Once the firefighters and EMTs arrived, we were able to begin evaluating Bridger's injuries. Unsurprisingly, there was a lot of blood, so much that the firefighters asked Bridger if they could cut off his shirt, which he refused and said, my mom likes me in this shirt. What a darling kid. And when recounting the attack and what he did, what he said was perhaps the most stunning. Six-year-old six boy. He said, I figured if someone was going to have to die, it may as well have been me. This is Bridger today. He's bruised. He is bloodied. He's stitched up, yet his head is held high and his arm is around his sister. And this six-year-old boy has given the world a picture of what uh, a true elder brother looks like. We are attracted to stories like this. We have a desire to know and be this kind of person. Now in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable and I've never outrightly said this in the last five weeks, but a parable is a fictional story. It's a story that Jesus made up in order to prove a point. So what Jesus is saying here is not a historical thing. It's a story. And it's a story about a younger brother who goes off and he decimates his family by spending the family's uh, wealth, his, his own inheritance. He completely comes to the end of himself. He has ruined his life, and he is near death. And so he decides that it's better for him 
to rather just, just go home and, and see his father. And his father, surprisingly, when he comes home, does not shame him. He does not ridicule him or punish him. He doesn't even ask any questions. Instead, he welcomes him back with open arms, much to the dismay of the elder brother who stayed home, who worked hard and did everything seemingly right. And as we saw last week, I have this fly in my hand that I just want to get. Hopefully I got him. As we saw last week, the good brother who stayed home was just as lost as the younger brother who took off. And the story end, uh, ended and ends on a cliffhanger because Jesus is addressing the Pharisees by whom the older brother is represented in the story. It is addressed uh, very much to us as well who are both younger brothers and older brothers living in this, this confusing world. All of us who are lost, equally loved by the Father. With the question, what are you going to do now? And the answer, as we'll see throughout today, is that you and I need to come home with the elder brother, the true elder brother, Jesus Christ. We need to come home with the true elder brother, Jesus. So uh, last week, again, we looked at how Luke chapter 15 is about lostness. It's about recovery. It's about God's heart for those who are lost and his desire for those who are lost to come back home to him. You see, the first parable in Luke 15 is about a shepherd who has a flock of 99 sheep. And one of those uh, sheep go off and, and they get lost and he gets lost and, and the, the shepherd decides, I'm going to leave this 99 who are doing just fine and I'm going to go find that lost sheep. And he finds the lost sheep and there's a celebration and he comes back. Second parable is about a, uh, a woman who loses a coin. Now, obviously, it's not like a penny or a nickel or something like that because it wouldn't be that much of a value. But obviously, this coin had very much value to her, whether monetary or sentimental, we don't know. But she searches diligently. She flips up the couch cushion. She digs her hands in, and she finally finds this lost coin. And what does she do? She calls up all of her neighbors, all of her relatives, and says, come on over, we're going to have a party because I found this very, very valuable coin. These are two stories in which something is lost. And someone takes the responsibility to go and retrieve that lost thing. Now, in the parable that we've been looking at for five weeks, we have a, me a member of a family who is obviously lost in a spiritual and a relational sense. His, he demands his inheritance before his father is dead, which indicates to us where his heart condition is actually at. It's as if he says to his father, you know what, father, I just really wish that you would die like now. 
so that I can get my inheritance and I can go and do my own thing. So since his dad isn't dying anytime soon, he asks for his inheritance and, and takes off and he gets the cash. He runs away to some sort of ancient Las Vegas and blows it all on, on who knows what. And then he suffers for it. And it's obvious he's lost. And we all know people like this. Many of us have been or are people like this. Someone who's ruining their lives. We think of the big things like sex and drugs and alcohol, gambling, whatever it might be. But there, there's all sorts of senses in which you and I are running away with some sort of vice that is taking us further and further away from home. But there's something missing in this story that the previous two parables don't have. Someone leaving home and searching for this lost thing. And why is it that we don't have someone that searches diligently, looks everywhere to find this one son who is lost. And I think the answer is because the one who was responsible for going to find this son was too busy sulking somewhere in a field, secretly harboring anger in his, his heart, all the while believing that he is the good son because he stayed this older brother stayed behind. He kept up the farm. He is the one who looks really, really good by contrast. More than likely, they lived in a small town. And you all know what it's like to live in a small town. If something like this were to happen to a family where one of the, the younger brother was sort of the renegade and ran off, everyone would know about it. And that would make the older brother look a whole lot better because he stayed around. But it's only a facade. He's only concerned about himself. He doesn't care about the father. He's just buying time until his dad dies and he can inherit what he thinks is his. It's the same exact mindset as the younger brother. This fly is going to be the end of me. Ugh. Uh, and last week we, we looked at certain characteristics of such elder brothers. We said that elder brothers tend to have an undercurrent of anger. Something happens that triggers them. And that anger can be shown externally. But a lot of times it's, it's anger that, that, that's harbored in the heart. And it just takes a certain amount of heat for that to really expose itself out in public. Also, elder brothers have a tendency to do life out of a sense of duty rather than delight. They do things because they have to do it. They go to work because they have to. They serve their spouse because they have to. They go to church because they have to. There's no sense of joy in it, only obligation. And further, we said that an elder brother, typically, not, though not always, uh, elder brothers tend to look down on those that they feel are inferior to them. 
So if you root yourself in working really hard and being a hard worker, if you see someone that may not work as hard as you think that you do, you may look down on them as lazy. If you root yourself in your political affiliation, uh, political party, whatever you want to call it, then you are going to see people with different opinions as misinformed and quite possibly an enemy. If you value money above all else, you will use people to fatten your wallet. Or you will look down upon people who may be in poverty as if they are there because of their own choosing and their own, uh, their own mistakes. So you see both the younger brother, who is probably the obnoxious, ungrateful one, and the elder brother, who is the self-righteous idolater, are all on same footing. Totally lost. And in desperate need. So what did the younger brother need that the elder brother didn't possess? And that the story desperately lacks. And that is the true elder brother who would leave the comfort of their home, that would leave the comfort of their riches, and go to recover the lost son at great cost to themselves. I want to argue this morning that the younger brother needed exactly what you and I need today. We need one who would come at great cost to himself and rescue us from ourselves. And God has provided that elder brother, that true elder brother for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus has seen our lostness. He has seen us drive our lives into the ground. And his compassion and his love for us drove him to come out of the fields from heaven to take on flesh and become a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was prosecuted by public opinion tortured, hung on a cross, and died. And he did all of this so that we could come home. Now, on the night that, the night before Jesus was crucified, he said to his disciples this in John chapter 14. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. 
So in other words, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he was getting home ready for us. And now on this side of the cross, where we are today, it's time to come home. And this made the Pharisees very, very angry. Why? Because Jesus is everything that they are not. He is the true elder brother who is giving them a paradigm for life that they couldn't even wrap their minds around. And if you and I are stuck in that rut of being an elder brother, Jesus will often make us angry too. Why? Because we who are self-righteous cannot put up with this kind of talk. We cannot put up with the idea that we cannot do it on our own, that we have to rely on someone else, that we're not strong enough in order to save ourselves. We want to just, just uh, stand on our own two feet and make it on our own. We're good enough. But a mindset like that is totally lost. However, if we can see our lostness through this paradigm, Jesus will take us home. His life, his death, his resurrection will be joyfully welcomed and totally sufficient for you. And you can come home today by abandoning your way of life now, turning from it. That's what repentance means. And then turning to Jesus Christ and walking in the same direction that he is going. So why not come home through faith today? Why not put your trust in Jesus? Maybe for the first time, maybe you need to come back home. But we need to come home with the true elder brother, Jesus. But when we come home with Jesus, there are a few implications of what that means, personally and corporately. And so the second thing we need to do today is grasp what this means for you. Grasp what this means for you personally. When you come home with Jesus, there are many things that should happen uh, within you. First of all, you should experience true freedom. When you come home to Christ, you're relieved from the fear of rejection. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, do you notice what that verse says? It says that there's no condemnation for those. It does not say there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus until you screw up big time. Until you do something that you regret. Until you do something that you know you shouldn't have done. No, it says... If you are in Christ Jesus, there's absolutely no condemnation for you. And then in Romans 8, 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, uh, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What, is, what does that mean? What about that one thing that I truly regret that no one in this world knows except for me? It says, nothing will separate you. 
Well, what about the way that I treated that person and now they're no longer around and I desperately wanted to make it right and now there's no hope for that? Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. When you truly come home with Jesus, you are relieved from the anxiety of your past. You're relieved from the anxiety of the future. You abandon your prejudice. You stop seeing people as different than you are uh, as, a, as a prospective enemy. But a fellow journeyman in this life, you see yourself as one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. You won't look down on others because when you look in the mirror, you will see yourself in the same boat that they are. Obedience to God will no longer be a chore, but it'll be a delightful expression of our love for Jesus and what he has done for us. Further, you may find yourself taking on the role of a true elder brother. And that's the sweet spot that I think that we are called to as Christians. Remember Genesis chapter 4? It recounts the first murder. Uh, Cain is, is very upset at Abel because uh, God accepts uh, Abel's sacrifice is more worthy than Cain's. And so he kills him and and uh, kind of hides the body. And, and when God is calling him to account, uh, God comes out and says, Cain, where is your brother? And do you remember what Cain's response was? It was, what do I look like, my brother's keeper? And the answer to that is obviously, yes. As an elder brother, that's your job. And as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, our job is to look after the welfare of our fellow brothers and sisters in truth and grace. We will care. We will help and not hurt. And instead of contempt in your heart, you'll find compassion and compulsion to love. You'll no longer see God as a tool to get something greater, but rather you, you'll see him and know him and enjoy him and serve him and see him as the end goal of life. You see, when we come home to Jesus, our true elder brother, we should see these things and so much more taking place in our hearts, but also there are implications for us as a church body as well. So we also need to see the implications for us here as a local body of believers. When we have a church filled with younger and, and elder brothers who have truly come home with Jesus, it should radically change what we do and what we look like. We'll be more welcoming of people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't think like us or act like us. We'll rub shoulders with people that we were previously repulsed by. We will be a church that exists for the community at large, not a country club 
in order to have our preferences met. In fact, we will joyfully let go of our preferences to let God's kingdom expand here in Mora. We'll be more okay with change because we realize that we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for something bigger. We will think and act outside the box to reach people in our community who have never heard the gospel or may not have heard the gospel in its entirety. When we come home with Jesus, we will not be content with just sitting here or maybe watching at home and then just going about our lives. But instead, we will invest in will invest our lives in the church and in the community to see God's glory spread throughout. We will joyfully become members and commit ourselves to the church and we will use our neighborhoods, we'll use our workplaces, we'll use our homes as places for transformation of people into the image of Jesus to bring God glory. So because there was a true elder brother who left his throne to come and rescue us, we have so much to be thankful for. So much to be grateful for. But again, this text goes to the end in which Jesus leaves us in a cliffhanger. The father is inviting the elder brother to the party of the century. And here is Jesus inviting you to the feast of heaven. He has prepared a place for you by living, dying, and being raised from the dead. The question is, are you going to come home? Come home with Jesus today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, many of us are wandering in, in many different ways. We may pay lip service to you, or we may be here, we may be watching, and we are... Um, completely oblivious to our need of you. Father, I pray that you would convict our hearts, that you would see us as younger and older brothers. Lord, and that we would turn from those things, that we would turn to see the true elder brother, that we would trust in him with our lives. God, we ask that you would save those that are here or bring back the ones that may have wandered. I pray that in their hearts right now, Lord, they would ask for forgiveness and they would trust in you and that today would be a new day with a new home, a new destination, and a new lease on life, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this text and we ask, God, that you would use it to further your kingdom in our hearts, in this room, in the community, and throughout the world, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Thanks for listening to this message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more messages, 
Find us online at www.emmanuelmora.com or on any podcast app. Visit our website for more information about our church or access more resources. Also, if you like what you've heard, consider partnering with us in our mission by giving financially. You can give a one-time gift or give recurring gifts at www.emmanuelmora.com or text the word GIFT to 320-313-1950.